My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 89, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Judges 14 through 16, and Psalm 146 and 147. Judges 14. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable Woman, among your relatives or among all your people, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know what this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman. And there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose thirty men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast, so on the seventh day he finally told her, because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down thirty of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Later on, the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. 
I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her young sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told, Samson, the Timnites, son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, Since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out Lehi. The people of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with the two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Rameth Lahai. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in the Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakor, and it is still here in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faced Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. 
He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with a pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out and before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistine seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after he had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillar that supports the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me, please, God, strengthen me just one more time, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the central pillar on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorhah and Ethol, in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. 
The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praise to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. He understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his com- command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his law and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. I remember reading the story of Samson in children's Bibles and children's stories. And like Dr. Mackey describes, Samson was described as some sort of an ancient Captain America Marvel-esque like character who was given divine power to conquer in the name of God. As Dr. Mackey also contests, to read the Bible in this way, especially the book of Judges, which is not his child's tale, may lead us astray. These judges are not role models. The book of Judges is one of, if not the most, violent and bloody books in the Bible. It's also at this point that we have to remember what the Bible is for. Dr. Mackey reminds me that the Bible is not a divine book of behavior that dropped out of the sky with a bunch of tales of Christian heroes. The Bible is a story about God, who he is, what he's doing, and how much he loves us, and what he created us for, and what links he will go to in order to offer rescue, redemption, and restoration. To read Judges like a book of, in quotes, good biblical characters fighting bad ones is to miss the point the author is trying to make. The author is not trying to offer characters that we want to be like. Yes, some of these characters have aha moments, but in the overall gruesome and tragic context of the story, these moments are actually quite rare. And while there's this bigger story of God and the preservation of his reputation, because in other parts of the Bible it says that, you know, if basically the people he put to represent him, which is his people, don't represent him and worship him, even the rocks will cry out. So God's reputation will maintain and remain. Dr. Mackey describes the whole book of Judges as a tragedy and literary design. And Samson is described as violent, sex-crazed, with absolutely no conflict resolution skills. And he dies in blood and glory, getting vengeance on his enemies. 
Samson, Marty Solomon, and Dr. Mackey describe him as the worst of the judges, which I was also not taught as a kid in church or Christian school, and I kind of think some sort of foundation should have been laid for, for this, at least in adolescence. But I didn't get this insight until I was an adult and read it for myself. Samson was provoked and responded with revenge, and revenge incites the ego, the sense of entitlement. There is cruelty toward the objectification and cruelty towards women, animals, and economic terrorism in this story. Then, of course, there are also gruesome forms of murder and torture and deception. Revenge often occurs with blindness towards our own involvement, and it seeks justification for actions, morally, when there is no moral basis for it. This is like assuming the inverse of the golden rule from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This doesn't work in in reverse. We know this just isn't the case. We cannot graft meaning onto the text that is not there. Some also try to use passages we have read about, like Deuteronomy 19, verse 21, which states um, to not show pity and describes an eye for an eye. But somehow, what we fail to remember is the part where cases go before God, the priest and judges, who perform through investigation, and there is more than one witness required before a judgment is rendered. It is not our right to be the accuser, judge, jury, single witness, and executioner. The cycle of revenge always escalates, and it never ends. Revenge cannot articulate goals besides get even or teach a lesson. But what does it mean to get even, and is a lesson actually taught? It's never really clear. Revenge is a desire that does not have clarity for when it is quenched. This is what makes it particularly dangerous. It's circular. Revenge sells the myth that a situation can be fixed or redeemed with violence, but redemption can never come through violence. It does not bring peace or restoration. Like Samson eventually did at one point, he dropped the jawbone and consider the stories we have read about cities of refuge and the process of bringing a case to justice, which is an act of trusting God's will and ways and not our own. God is just, and while God's Spirit empowers these screwed-up people to deliver His people and maintain His reputation as God at specific points, Dr. Mackey describes this does not endorse all of the judge's behavior, but shows his commitment to deliver His people despite the drift. And while I hate tragic literature— probably because I was born American, there is an immense value in it. It tells the story of how small, seemingly one-off or inconsequential decisions of moral compromise can lead to greater and greater drift and consequence. As Dr. Mackey points out, we do not typically plan on self-destruction, and it typically does not happen overnight. We often do not even see our role, and we are unaware of our direction towards our own demise. Dr. Mackey suggests the book of Judges is like a giant stop sign, forcing us to reflect on these characters and their choices, and then self-reflect on our own life. Are we in the rinse, wash, repeat cycle of doing evil, becoming oppressed by the evil we worship, crying out for help, God delivering, and we take a breath, and then we go right back in to do more evil? Changing habits can get really hard. B.F. Fogg has a book and at least one TED Talk on forgetting the big change in exchange for making tiny habits that lead to changing everything. B.F. Fogg, a Stanford professor, is onto something. 
I linked it in the show notes, but what's even cooler to me is that God offered these small habits in the ordered design of creation and his edits to his people's way of life. God created rhythms and divisions of power, community, and his story, his word, his presence, and relationship to come close to the details, never forget, respond, and practice, because all of us who have ever learned an instrument or a sport know the skills, the training, the practice is what leads to the mental and muscle memory to respond in the most helpful and useful and God-given ways at the right time under fire— i.e. in the game, in the performance, and in our lives. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.